Hey, I want to share with you what we are doing called the Christmas experience this season. So as we go into it, many of you would probably remember that uh, several years back we did something called the Easter experience. It was a video series connected to a study series. They have made, uh, City on a Hill Productions has made a series now called the Christmas Experience, taking you through a video dramatization of what Mary and Joseph experienced. And we invite you to do that, and we can do it in two ways. I'm going to do it in the high-tech way. I'm going to do it uh, by going into Right Now Media. And as I go into Right Now Media, I'm going to punch up uh, what it says about series and especially holidays. And under holidays, it's going to show me several things I can do for the holidays. And one of them is the Christmas experience. I'm going to go on to that, and then it's going to talk about episodes, and I'm going to do episode one this week, and we'd invite you to do the same. If you want to learn how to get on to our Right Now Media, you can do it in, at the Connect Center afterwards. The other way is a video series that you can take home, but uh, we've ordered several, but only uh, two have shown up so far. So maybe they're hard to get this Christmas season. Uh, the other way that we want you to do to help you under, uh, go through this series is that uh, with my sermon outline on the back page uh, each week would be some questions that you can do as adults, but also at the very bottom would be some suggestions, at least one suggestion, for what you could do as a family activity. So... Uh, Look at that, and then you'll have to get creative. I can't do the creativity for you. You know your family. But the idea is that you would see the video, you would get the point as a family, and then you'd go away, and you'd have some exercise that your children will remember. All of my children, all three, fondly remember getting lowered from the second story of our house down the stairway, uh, <clears throat> trying to reenact the the, uh, the paralytic uh, who was dropped from a roof, okay? They all went through that, and they all can still talk about it, and they all lived, which is a good thing, okay? So under going deeper, that's something that you can experience too and uh, to help you do it as a children, uh, as a family, and your children are involved in some way. And I want to give you this warning. When it gets to the birth of, Mar- uh, birth of Jesus, that's episode four, Parents, watch it in advance because there's a lot of pain. There's nothing terrible, nothing visual, but a lot of screaming. Apparently, this happens during births, okay? <laughs> so uh, so we would encourage you to, to make sure that you see it first and understand if it's appropriate for your children. Uh, it was, uh, as I was thinking, my, th- my youngest, when he was three to five, probably not a good idea. Okay, he was afraid of clowns. He doesn't like uh, people yelling. Now, what are you anticipating? Can I take you back to an experience that I had and then bring you forward to what I'm, something I'm anticipating this year? Growing up as a child, we had this wonderful little device, high-tech, sent to you in the mail called the Sears Catalog every year. <laughs> And I would get the Sears catalog, and I would go through, you know, men's suits, ladies' lingerie. I'd go through everything so I could get to one area called toys. And I would get to the toys, and there I would read and study 
underline, memorize the description of the toys that I wanted. And I was really into World War II and soldier, little army uh, outfits. And, and so <clears throat> um, usually that would be circled. And, and I would anticipate that what I wanted, everybody else would want to give me. That's false anticipation. My, my, uh, but th- then I would take the catalog, the Sears catalog, because you got more than one a year, and I would make sure that uh, there would be a card written on it giving the page number where they could find what I want, and I'd place it on the coffee table and tell them, in the Sears catalog on page 954, you can find what you can buy me for Christmas. I anticipated getting just about everything. I experienced far less than that. Life is like that. Now, this year, we are leaving Christmas morning. I've never done this before. And we're attempting to revive uh, the celebration of Christmas with Barb's parents. With age and the downsizing of their lives and the family all spread, spread out, they say they don't celebrate it anymore. They don't see much reason. Now, these are missionaries, okay? Missionaries. They spent their lives on the mission field. It just shows you, you know, how, how much family being together is important at Christmas. So, uh, Barb and I said, well, I'm, I'm the in-law, you know, I'm the son-in-law and you're the daughter. So we're going to go to them and we'll get there by noon, I think, on Christmas morning and we're going to try to rekindle uh, some of the experiences they've had. Now, let's face it. We celebrate Christmas on two different levels, at least two. One of them is the whole family tradition experience. Friends, there's nothing wrong with that. It is a wonderful thing and something that I hope you look forward to every year. My children are told if they don't show up every alternate Christmas, 2017 is the next one, they are out of the will, okay? <laughs> They will not get any inheritance. Don't, it's our little secret. There ain't much there, okay? But, but it seems to motivate them. And they get valuable cash prizes if they show up. So, um, this year is an off year, so we're going to go to them. But the family experience of singing the, listening to the carols, singing the carols together, we look forward to doing that, opening presents, uh, cooking a great meal, and having a Christmas for six of us uh, that I hope will rekindle what they used to have on much larger level. The second level, though, is when we focus on God and the work that he's done that first Christmas. You see, if God is not in it, there's nothing wrong with following through the family traditions. But Jesus is in the middle of those traditions. If God is not in it, Jesus is born of Joseph and Mary and goes on to be a, a great moral and spiritual leader whose influence remains in the world today. And we can say, okay, well, that's, that's good. But if God is in it, and he is, this Jesus of history also is the heavenly son of God. He is miraculously sent, not just born, but sent to earth for a mission and a purpose that transforms human nature and promises eternal life and reveals uh, God's purpose for everyone who follows his son. Now that is an experience that can be duplicated by no one if you are not a follower of Jesus. 
And if God is in it, and he is, then, understands that the, then understand that everything about Jesus stuns us about, with God's timing and God's faithfulness within it. So as we begin this Christmas experience, we're looking at a promise made or promises that God has made about Christmas and how he has kept them. And those that are still being fulfilled, we'll look at how those are going to be kept. It all begins with understanding, is this, are we looking at human circumstances or are we looking at heavenly timing? As we were reading in Luke uh, before the service began, you were seeing that that is written uh, so that a Greek person that uh, Luke is trying to reach, if they have not read chapter 1, they can read this and they can come to an understanding. It, the circumstances were terrible, but there's nothing miraculous here. Read chapter 1. Do not read chapter 2 without reading chapter 1. It's of extreme importance. But it talks about the history. Jesus' birth is rooted in history. The days of Caesar Augustus, the days of a census, the days of Quirinius, the days of taking that census and what would have to happen. And so all of this was to happen. It was, uh, you know, a powerful emperor, poor victims of that powerful emperor, a long journey, a pregnant wife, a frantic husband, a crowded town. They make the best of it because they weren't able to change it. And this Caesar did exist. And he does order the census and the taxes and the draft sign up for new soldiers because that's why the census was held. So it says now that everyone went to his town in verse 3. And every male of taxable and draftable age had to report to their hometown or their, their lineage town. Now, for me, that would be Boston, Massachusetts. That's where I was born. My family was New England in, in, in origin. That would be a long way to go. For Joseph and Mary, it was a three-day journey. And he decided, back to Bethlehem, the city of David, and he decides he's not going to be a rebel because he has responsibilities now. He has a wife. And he also is not going to be a rebel because he, by nature he's a faithful man. So he uh, obeys Caesar and he takes his wife and with his wife the child that he is expecting. Uh, we're just going to show a little video right now of what now. We've had a technology glitch. First time ever here, okay? But we want to show you, this talks about, first of all, the 400 years of waiting, and I'll get into that, and then what Mary and Joseph and their parents were expecting. You may not hear it well. You're not going to hear it at all. I'll be the narrator. Can you show it? That's a no? No. I'm not going to play every part. <laughs> uh, let's bring the lights back on then if we can't show it. It's funny, we, we played it four or five times before church. And we knew we had a glitch. We, we didn't know it wasn't going to work. Uh, in going through this, it shows these miserable people... <laughs> who have been waiting and, and anticipating that God would fulfill his promises. And then it shows the, uh, the, the short, what was called a betrothal ceremony, uh, with Mary and Joseph. And Mary's parents 
we're, we're in the background, and somebody comes and taps, his name is Eli, uh, Mary's father, uh, taps him on the shoulder, a lady, and says, what a perfect, what a perfect betrothal ceremony. And he looks at her and he says, if you think that was good, wait till you see the wedding. Whoops. He anticipated far more than he got. Because we know that Joseph married Mary uh, on the sly, very quietly. There wasn't a big ceremony. It wasn't perfect. Everything that seemed to go wrong in human circumstances went wrong. And so he fulfills his responsibility, both to Caesar and to his wife, where it says in verse 4 of Luke chapter 2, so he also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. He went there to register with with Mary, and then it just tells the, the straight truth, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, that's the scandal. You don't expect a child when you're pledged to be married. You are pledged to be married. You go through the ceremony, and then you have children. Didn't work out that way, poor Eli, okay? So on the human level, as you look at it, everything about this story is terrible timing. Mary is pregnant. Mary is walking three days to obey some power-hungry, unbelieving foreign emperor. By the way, there's no donkey in Scripture. Now, I believe that Joseph was probably a really good man and found a donkey if he didn't own one. Got a donkey. But there's never any mention of it there. Uh, We just consider it a tradition even though it's nothing is written about it and joseph is already poor now he has to pay an extra tax and he has to sign up to be drafted and all of nazareth suspects that mary is pregnant by him so maybe getting out of town was a good thing there is nothing on the human level that makes this couple look special in fact everything makes them look like they're a bad moral character not fitting in with the culture and, and, and more than that, there's nothing in here that anybody cares really about them and the story that we've just read. The issue that we have to agree with, however, is that every time we look at human circumstances on the earthly level, there's also heavenly timing going on. Behind the scenes, everything is going according to plan. Not a human plan, but heaven's plan. For 400 years, there's been no fresh word from God. 400 years, allowing 25 years per generation. And here in America, we say it's only 18, but allowing 25 years uh, for each generation. That means six generations have come and gone without a new word from God. There is nothing between Malachi and Matthew. God has not spoken. That does not mean he's not working. And if it sounds familiar that it doesn't look like he's working because he's not speaking, understand that the Jews were in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. And yet in the midst of that with the Jews in Egypt, God is preparing all the necessary ingredients to set his people free and return them to the promised land that he had promised to Abraham many, many years earlier. He is also preparing... This 400 years for him to fulfill his promises that he made quite a while ago. So 
we look at 400 years and we go, Lord, I'm not even going to live one-fourth of that. How am I going to experience the fulfillment of your promises? 400 years is a huge time for us, but not so much for God. Not so much for God. What did I do? Oh. Let's do it. What else could go wrong? Right on cue. Wait till you see the wedding. Uh, each episode, by the way, when you go on the video, is not 40 seconds, but about 30 minutes, between 25 and 30 minutes. And really invite you to, to get onto that, get onto Right Now Media that we subscribe to, and you, you can be invited to be on it too, if you're not already on it. Okay, so 400 years, a long time for us, not for God. Four minutes is a short amount of time for us, but it means nothing to God. So in that time, Those 400 years, understand that God is directing his plan. He brings about in those 400 years something that the world has never seen before. The Roman Empire did a lot of bad things, but it did a lot of good things to to allow Jesus to come to earth. So that there is now a a sense of world order. There is now a sense of world peace called the Pax Romana. There is world travel. There is a language that just about everybody knows called Greek. There is world communications that comes with that travel. And also we're in an age of philosophy where people are asking, not just Jews, but but Greeks and, and really the entire world, why am I alive? What's life all about? What's its value? What's its direction? What's its purpose? And how do I discover it? It's into this world that God sends his son. And he has prepared the world for this great event. So we look at it and it's human waiting. But we have to understand that it's also God at work. He is working. Look at Galatians 4.4 that was read. But But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. You see... Humanity seems to be waiting on God, but God behind the scenes is working. Just because his work does not seem as evident, it's not, you know, written in the stars so we can see it every night, he continues to direct the events. And we have to look in terms of not just human history, but heavenly history as the birth of Jesus Christ, the center point. Everything before is leading up to him coming Everything after talks about his life and what will happen afterwards until God ends this planet as we now know it. That is what God is working. That is what he is doing. Now, we are looking at a lot of promises that have been made by God in the Old Testament 
comparing them with how he fulfills them in the New Testament. We've just come through a season where a lot of promises were made to us. Promises were given every month. I wanted to go back to school because it would be free. Free! I was thinking of my next degree that I might get, you know? Uh, they, the promises that have been made to us are more numerous from either the, the conservative or the progressive side than anybody would be able to fulfill. Eight years ago, we heard about a transformative presidency. It fell short. Not that things didn't happen, but transformed? No. Political promises always fall short. But God is always on target. This says he's always on time. And he's always fulfilling each promise that he has made. Read with me that passage. Show it up again. Galatians 4.4. 4. Put it up there again, can you? Let's read it out loud. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And you can add in there daughters. Okay? Both, you know, all people could become adopted by God. So where people's promises fall short, let's look at some of the things that God has fulfilled in bringing Jesus. Now let me just go through them quickly. Uh, here are the promises that he keeps. God's Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. We know that. It's prophesied. He's not going to be born in Jerusalem, uh, where most kings are born. He's not going to be born in Nazareth. He will be born, uh, and he will come from the line of David, which is why he's born in Bethlehem. And we see in their genealogies that they both come from the line of David. The Messiah will be the result of a virgin birth. That has never happened before. And the Messiah will come out of Egypt, where Joseph takes Jesus and Mary to protect them in the early years because he knows that Herod is out to kill anybody that would be a rival. If he found Jesus, he would kill him. So with all of these promises coming full, with all of them being met, then understand that what is going on then, if he accomplishes all of them, then he will continue to accomplish everything that he has promised. The birth of Jesus is at the center of his timeline. But you got to take time out. It's at the center of his plan. Everything is leading up to the arrival of Jesus and his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And everything afterwards is leading up uh, to the final end. So we understand that for every event, there's often consequences. It's hard to avoid those consequences. Uh, The event of Jesus' birth as long foretold in the prophecy of Scripture, has consequences. This passage tells us what two of those consequences are. Redemption. The coming of Jesus would not just be a birth, but heavenly transactions would occur. Redemption would become possible, meaning that God is going to buy you back into his household. The other one is adoption. That you would now receive the full rights of being a child of God. That involves forgiveness of sins, a relationship with the Heavenly Father, uh, <clears throat> eternal life. All these things are promised by him. These are the, you might say, the consequences of Jesus' arrival. Now, understand that in all of this, God gets the accolades. We get the advantages. 
All of these things occur for our good and, and for God's glory. So in heaven's plan, the incarnation of Jesus is God's midpoint as our creator. Up to Jesus, God tells us the Savior for our sins is coming. And then there is Jesus, just as he promised. So if he has kept all of his promises up to Jesus, won't he then keep them all of them after Jesus? There's a completion stage that we are in the midst of. And so we look at the human history that we are currently experiencing. We go, how long, Lord? I mean, the earth just seems to be a mess. But understand that we are in God's second half. And he is accomplishing all that still has to be done. What are some of the things that have to be done? Well, we understand the gospel is being preached to all nations from Mark chapter 13, 9 and 10. You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. We are watching this happen now. The gospel is going to places where it has been closed off. It is mushrooming in China. Uh, I, I just have to believe that it's also being spread in North Korea where it's being outlawed. We know that it's going through all the Islamic countries and how, and how they're learning it. Jesus' kingdom continues to expand as he promised in ways that we can't keep up with, but heaven is. Christians are being persecuted. That's another promise, especially in those lands where the kingdom is expanding. We can also expect that the following will still be occurring. There's a promise of an antichrist who will deceive many. Uh, he will probably be a political or religious figure. Many false prophets will come and speak and people will follow them. We know that the Jews will come to Jesus in large numbers. There will be great signs in heaven that only God can cause. And then we also understand that it all ends at a certain point in time. Time for us, plan for God. Christ returns. And he returns suddenly. He returns personally. He returns visibly. He returns bodily. He returns boldly. And we understand that when he comes, he will not come as some little infant. He will come in glory and power. And he will come with a loud command and a shout from heaven and the sound of a trumpet, as, as Scripture promises. And all the nations of the world will be brought before him. And Jesus will now be the judge who sits on the throne and things will be made right. In his first coming, that causes us to rely on the promises that he will come again. Because this first coming, those promises were fulfilled. And when he comes, this second time, this second advent, he will restore us to God's original design and intent. We read all of this and we place our hope in the God who fulfills all of his promises. He has planned for his creation to achieve its purpose, the purpose for which God created it. And we know that his return is soon. We don't know when. But if it's a football game and you're in the second half, you're not looking at the clock. You're looking at the timekeeper's gun, right? He raises it and he's just waiting until that time ends. If you're on Times Square, the ball is dropping. It's dropping and people are starting the countdown. You know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 
6. If we're looking at Big Ben, uh, there in England, the most famous clock in the world, we understand that the hour hand is straight up on midnight, 12 midnight, and the, the, uh, the minute hand is getting really, really, really close. That's what God has yet to fulfill. And because he has met all of his promises in sending Jesus, we understand he is going to meet these last ones too. His promise for his second coming, all of these promises that he's made are imminent. And if not already fulfilled, they will be fulfilled soon. Friends, God wins. In human history, understand, God wins. So now we look at, okay, 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 I, I get it. God wins. That's the big picture. I'm not winning. We live in the here and now. We don't have a 400-year perspective like the Jews in slavery or, 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 or like the Jews uh, in Israel with nothing between Malachi and Matthew. We live in this, you know, uh, this temporal world. And, and so rightfully so, many of you are asking, you know, life is somewhat disappointing. Uh, what about now, God? Or, or God, what about me, God? Why is my health failing? Why are my most cherished relationships fracturing? Why is financial security so fragile, so hard to reach? Why do my friends reject my faith and tease me about my faith in your son? Why are people so mean? Why are governments so corrupt? Why is life so hard? You ready for the answer? The answer comes from a man named Simon that Jesus called Peter the Rock. He gave him a name that he doesn't deserve, but that maybe he would fit into later in life. And Peter does. And you see, when when you look at Peter... Peter is, to me, the perfect model of a person who, um, who has high anticipation, high expectations, especially for himself. And unfortunately, as life works out, he never reaches the, that goal. In fact, time after time, whether he is being braggadocious about his love for Christ... Uh, whether uh, he is uh, uh, making promises that he that he cannot keep, uh, whether you know whatever it is, Peter finds that he's always having to change his attitude. Peter has to change his attitude towards Gentiles. God loves them too. Who would have imagined that? Peter has to change his his attitudes towards food, and he goes on a different diet when he's with the Gentiles. Uh, uh, Peter has to change uh, his view of his promises about how he will love God uh, faithfully. You see, Peter makes a lot of promises, and he breaks just about every one of them. When Peter spends a lot of time with Jesus, Peter realizes he's continually being humbled. Now, we live in a world of felt needs and unfelt needs. And sometimes the unfelt needs are far deeper and we yearn for them. We just don't know them because we don't feel them. So 
Here's the question. How many of you, like Peter, feel like, you know, at this point in my life, I need more humbling and I need it right now? (laughs) One, two, three. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm asking to be human, okay? No, any of you play baseball? It's humbling. Any of you play golf? Not me anymore. It's too humbling, okay? There's all sorts of activities that I avoid doing because I don't need more humbling. However, it's an unfelt need because if we are not humbled, we don't find our way to Jesus. So Peter writes this wonderful message, this wonderful thought. And he's talking through Christians who are going through not just disappointment but persecution. And he tells them this. He goes, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What is Peter getting at? First of all, you are not going to be able to handle everything you're anxious about. So what does he tell you to do? Throw it on God. Just keep throwing it on God. He's got broad shoulders. He already knows. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares about you. But it means if you're going to cast all your anxiety on him, first of all, you might sleep a better, you know, if it works. But let's say if you're going to cast all your anxiety, you are personally admitting, I can't handle this. He cares about you. So give it all to him. And it's not just about, you know, the human race, but each human, each of us is racing around with fears and failings. And the promise that's given to us is if you give it all to God, he will handle it, not just in his power, but he'll handle it because he loves you. Now, here's the second. And understand the Christmas story is filled with this. You cannot read the Christmas story without coming to grips with this terrible world word called humility. Jesus accepts it, humility, willingly and eagerly through the task that the Father has sent him to do. His birth is a miracle hidden in circumstances totally unacceptable to most of us. Ask if this is humble. A stable for a delivery room? Straw for a crib, the absence of any caregivers except for mom and dad. Jesus' birth is a come down, and it was meant to be. His taking on human flesh is a miracle, but it's also very demeaning to the heavenly eternal Lord. You see, the one who made it all now has to settle for things that are used by animals. And this is it the manger is the message. The message is humility is is depicted, learned, uh, modeled for us in the way that Jesus comes to earth. Philippians chapter 2 says Jesus makes himself nothing, a mere human to most. And, And a human who would suffer like a convicted criminal and die the most gruesome and shameful death ever invented by mankind. Christmas is about humility. So Peter tells the Jesus followers to humble themselves. It is God's pattern to discover God, first of all, because there is a God and you're not him, but also God's pattern for greatness. And the model we have is the model of Jesus. 
whom we follow. Follow him. Follow him. And there is a promise that humility, God is not just out to humble you. That is not his ultimate goal. And so look at that rest of the verse. It says, humble yourselves under the, that he might lift you up in due time. Now, let's put Galatians 4.4 and 1 Peter together. The big picture. God sends Jesus in the fullness of time. Everything that he had been working towards, moving towards, it all happens at his planned moment. When you humble yourselves before God, he says he will lift you up in due time. That means his fullness for your life will happen as he plans it. One for the entire universe and all that he has made. The second one for you, for you, for you, for each one of you. This is the similar promise that he makes. So, how's it going? It is his time. He's going to do it in his way. And he will give you his reward. You know, Advent season is a great time of rejoicing. One of the great words of of, of Christmas is joy. We'll look at that a little bit later. But it's also a season for following in his steps. And if you sense you're being humbled, do you get the idea that God has you right where he wants you? Right where he wants you. Not where you want you necessarily, but right where he wants you. And you cannot believe what he is about to do. As he humbles you as he plans. Will you accept it? Like Jesus coming to earth. Willingly. Eagerly. So that in due time. He will lift you up. Let's pray. Almighty God. I cannot use that excuse. I'm humble enough. But I'd like to. And also, I don't want to wait 400 years for the due time in which you will lift me up. And I know there's many people here that are talking about health, finances, relationships, everything that's at the core of their value system is hurting in one way or another. And they're saying, how long, O Lord, like the psalm, how long? How long do we wait for you? Father, you have been totally faithful to your word. And you've been good to each one of us. So right now we stop and we realize there's a personal lesson, not just an historical one, not just a universal one, about Jesus coming to earth. Thank you that we were allowed to behold him. Thank you that we understand he went through the terrible circumstances of humiliation and death. But now he has the name above every name. 
thank you for giving him the honor that he so truly deserves. And like him, we confess right now that you will honor us for following your son in due time. Do you believe that prayer? Close with me with just amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.